Why would we preserve something? Anything. To keep it good. I immediately thought about strawberries or, you know, preserves that you eat. So we're interested in keeping things good and keeping things relevant and alive. There are countless things we like to preserve, and we could go on and on about history and artifacts and genealogies and birth records, oral traditions, religious holidays, and cultural ceremonies, and so on. But my first guest, Autumn, mentioned strawberries right out of the gate. And it's a great initial response to the question. It sounds a bit trivial compared to the list I just rattled off, but this answer demonstrates how simple the concept is that we're exploring. We preserve because we place value on something. The value can be almost anything and prescribed by almost anyone, but nonetheless, value is placed and then an effort to preserve is made. I'm David Allen Moss. Thanks for joining me. Okay, so I already see a hole in my logic. Yes, there are some natural, seemingly random occurrences of preservation that happen, like fossils and so on. But for the most part, I think we'll set those aside for now. Okay, on with it. Hi, I'm Thomas Fox with Creative Mornings Cleveland. We're thrilled to have Evergreen Podcasts on board as our official podcast partner. Evergreen Podcasts is committed to producing the best original content and engaging shows. Right now, you're listening to Wake Up Call, recorded on location at the monthly Creative Mornings Lecture Series. Enjoy. Autumn, Red Cross. So it is Native American, and there is a black Cherokee group in Virginia. Wow. So they came out of Lynchburg, Virginia. Okay. I got started researching my family history because I was looking for a connection to Native American ancestry in my family because... At the time, I was looking into adoption, and I called an agency called Rainbow Adoption, thinking that it was focused on multicultural families and adoptions of different types of people from myself. But it turned out that it was a Native American adoption agency. And they told me then, we only adopt to Native Americans. And I said, well, my name is Red Cross. (laughs) Does it count for anything? And they said, well, do you have a tribal number? And that just threw my mind spinning. Like, what? Tribal number? There's such a thing? There's such a thing. And so then I went about trying to figure out if we were indeed Native American and if this tribal number is something that I could obtain. We never did pursue an adoption, but I did follow through on the genealogy piece. It turns out the Native American tie comes from Autumn's husband, which makes sense since she took his last name, and it was that last name that tipped her off in the first place. Not only his father's father, whose name was Red Cross, has this link, and those are the Lynchburg ones that I'm telling you about. Yes, yes. But also his father's mother is um, part of the Haliwasapina tribe. Who knew? So it was something oh, that way my shook husband... shook his foundation. Yeah, he didn't know anything about it. And when I was asking his father about it, he didn't really want to talk about it. He wanted to only acknowledge his African-American ancestry. That's how he knew himself. This is who he was. And he didn't know anything different. Well, maybe there's the tie-in. Do we identify with what we preserve? We work so hard mm-hmm. to find identity... Mm-hmm. And and that is sort of the art of preserving something about ourselves and even for the next generation, like getting it straight for your for children. My yeah. Kids, yeah. And then you've come to find out 
it's not the story you've been working so hard to, to preserve. Right. And now he's quite interested in it and he'll talk about it to others and he'll even claim some of that ethnicity when it comes to discussing issues. So although he did not have that experience, a lived experience, he recognizes himself as something that has been born of this experience. Hearing Autumn talk about her family's journey of self-discovery makes me question what I know about myself. It's tough to know who we are, isn't it? Some of us have the ability to find public records that clue us in on births, marriages, and deaths in our family history, but those few names, dates, and places don't fill out the picture much. Some families make significant efforts to discover their genealogy, and it's gotten much easier in recent years to do that. But even still, look back just a century, and most of us don't have a lot of clarity about our family. And we don't seem to like that kind of ambiguity in our identity. I think we often interpret the pieces of information we do have and fill in a lot of the other gaps ourselves. Yeah, that's an interesting idea because we do have the artifacts, so we do have facts to put into our story. Yeah. But how we recreate our history yeah. is, is a decision yeah. somehow. Yeah. What you think about the theme preserve? I mean, you're you're in it every day. Talk a little bit about what you do and and what you think about the importance of the, that word preserve. It is what we do, and Western Reserve Historical Society has been doing it since 1867. So over 150 years, that, that's we have amazing. been preserving Cleveland. Yeah. So we have preservation through stories oral histories. Right. Um, we have living history here every day with uh, people that come in and explore and then share their stories. We have a lot of artifacts, um, millions of artifacts, photos, diaries. We started first as a library and then right. we started collecting things and started displaying those things in about 1940 um, in a museum. And we've been here in University Circle since 1940. This is Angie Lowry. She's the director of the Cleveland History Center where she presides over one of those places that we can go to and see the artifacts of our history. This place is just packed full of items that show us our journey, both as a city and on a larger human scale. After we got our hellos out of the way, I started thinking more about what Autumn and I had just discussed. I wanted to know what Angie thought about interpreting history and maybe presenting history a particular way, especially within the context of an organization that's in the business of preservation. I also asked her if preserving history can sometimes stand in the way of progress. You know, I, I was wondering about those statements we sometimes hear like, well, this is the way we've always done it. We, we learn from the past and we preserve the past so we don't repeat it. Mm -hmm. So history can be ugly. And one of the things uh, at the Cleveland History Center, we tell all stories. Not all the stories are pretty. Not all of the things that happened in Cleveland are great. Um, but if we don't keep those stories preserved, then how are we going to save ourselves and the future generations from repeating those stories? Uh, stories, the river is the burning. Right. Um, you can explore that here today and every day at the Cleveland History Center. We talk about what, what um, progress led to the pollution of the river and why it burned. And then you can look at um, how the Stokes administration took an active role in cleaning up the river. And then, of course, today and this year, especially 50 years later, we're celebrating where we've come. So I think one of the important things that we do 
do is we share those stories, share that history, and uh, open the door for the conversation. Uh, Chief Wahoo, our job is to continue to share the stories of how people relate to Chief Wahoo as a logo for the Cleveland Indians, as a landmark, uh, it was a municipal stadium. We have the sign here and it, it can be very offensive. And also others who are fans and see it as a logo for the Cleveland Indians, they are very passionate about it. So that is another thing that we're preserving um, something can stand in the way of progress in making sure that all people are treated well and how race and those kind of logos is an ongoing conversation. But I think that we have that here to open the door for that conversation. And actually in the interpretation of, uh, next to that um, object, we encourage people to have the conversation online and share how do you see Chief Wahoo and keep the conversation going. So we can hold on to things, but we can also continue to keep talking about it. And progress isn't always fast. It isn't always easy. And sometimes holding on to that can um, slow down, but I don't think it ever stops it. I love Angie's perspective here. It's preservation that is active. Artifacts not only for history's sake, but artifacts so that we can learn and grow. We have a long way to go on our collective journey and it's good to be prodded along. You're listening to Wake Up Call. We'll be right back. Downtown Cleveland is in a renaissance. World-class museums, incredible restaurants, live music, boutique shopping, luxury living, and of course, plenty of sporting events too. Stay up to date with where we are today and where we're headed next. Listen to Then There's Cleveland, a new podcast brought to you by the Downtown Cleveland Alliance. That's Then There's Cleveland, episodes out now on evergreenpodcast.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Wake Up Call. I'm David Allen Moss, and our theme this episode is Preserve. Do you feel like your music pursuits tie in with today's theme? I do, yeah, actually. Like, I mean, I feel like music kind of in and of itself is a way to preserve the present moment, and it's yeah. also a way to preserve the past, and it's also, it can be an informative for the future. So all of that kind of goes together, but I think music in and of itself is a way of preservation, you know. Everybody writes different music, but it's all coming from this sort of like collective human experience, you know. This is Gretchen Plus. She's a musician that played at the event for us, and she was good enough to sit down and give us some insight on her songwriting philosophy. Capturing that human experience in a lyric and song takes a lot of choices. Any kind of creating does, right? So I asked Gretchen about some of the choices she makes when she's working on a piece of music. What is it she's trying to capture? What is she trying to preserve? I want to see connection preserved, like empathy, connection, actual intimate, you know, closeness, things that, like, sometimes I think we get so caught up in the rat race that we forget, and art and music remind us of those things. So that's what I try to preserve by being somewhat vulnerable okay. in my songs. Let's face it. Vulnerability encourages connection. How, how do you preserve something that's inside of people, between people? But that's the thing about like coming to like meetups like this and going to live shows and like art galleries, things like that, where you can actually get that connection that we do naturally, like we're starting to sort of move away from sometimes because we get so busy or we're overworked. 
we have enough entertainment at home. You know? right. But then we forget about the importance of that really like one-on-one connection. That one-on-one connection is important. Gretchen places a lot of value on it, and I think we all need to do the same. I have millions of songs at my fingertips all the time, but hearing a song live and experiencing that moment with others is meaningful. So I was thinking the other day, um, this play that I just did with our little girls, um, the second grade offered inspiration from the future to the little girls of 1919 who were working for the vote. And one of the girls said, the most dangerous words in our society are, we've always done it that way, by Grace Hopper, computer scientist. And she said, I don't quite understand this. And I said, that's because... I thought to myself, that's because you're seven. Uh, but for me, <laughs> at 58, I think, wow, we have to be really careful that we don't default to, we've always done it this way. Um, we use that as code for, and nor do we want to examine the practice or possibly change it or adapt it. You know, the only person who likes change is a wet baby, I think. And so how do I, as the leader of a school, say, okay, what is still serving us? You know what's not serving us? What's not serving us is teachers standing at the front of the classroom delivering lectures with kids as passive recipients of knowledge. We know that for kids to really learn, they have to be engaged, they have to be questioning, they have to be part of the learning. In some ways, uh, my job is to be curating the way we're delivering an education. Oh, that's a great way to it. And to, to be selective about what are we doing when and how. And one thing I've learned in my 15 years is to give us a longer runway on some of the things that might be evolving practices because we don't get there all at once and people need process. Ann Klotz is the headmistress of Laurel School. She's an academic and an administrator. Learning, improving, and moving forward is her every day. I love that she's returning to the idea that we need to be examining how we live all the time. We don't just keep doing things because that's how we do it, but we learn from the past and we build on it. Think about cars or fashion that, or books, that there are still elements we recognize from, you know, I don't know, Gutenberg in a book today. It's uh, differently delivered. But I think about that with cars or with clothes. Form follows function, and then we reinvent it again. And we think we're so fancy that we've reinvented it. During Anne's talk at Creative Mornings, she spoke so eloquently and deliberately about the process of examining and curating education techniques, but then claimed to be a bit of a hoarder at home, which I'm sure she overstates, but I asked her about it anyway. Why do you find it difficult to decide what to preserve of your own things? Um, You know, and I actually think about this a lot. I lived in a family where that idea of passing things down was somehow elevated beyond or above throw it out. So I love that I have my grandmother's china. Now, really, I don't give a whole lot of dinner parties for 18, but it w- it feels, I think, if Marie Kondo says, does it give you joy? I think, yes, it does Even give me joy. Even if it's sitting in a cabinet, right. I see in it Solon, and I know it's a, there. Right. So it's obviously something as we get older that we're going to have to grapple with and grapple with with our kids. Um, and I feel a lot of pressure, you know, to get rid of stuff. And then I think, but I love having books. I love having my books around me or my handkerchiefs that belong to my mom or my grandmother. Those things make me happy. Listen, she definitely overstated her hoarding tendencies. This is about things that bring joy, things that hold meaning. It's the human connection that Gretchen talked about. They hold our memories 
I'm wearing my grandmother's cousin's earrings that she gave me when, I, when she died. She was a formidable academic. She was a scholar. And when I put them on, I feel equal to anything because I am carrying her with me. So I have a plant that was from my grandfather's funeral in the early 80s. And I took that plant to college, and I remember how that plant grew from the ceiling to the ground in sort of the filtered light of this huge um, catalpa tree. You know, the ones with the beans that hang down. So here was this just flourishing plant. And I actually ran over it at one point in the backyard when I was moving from one house to the other. I, I think I moved 11 times in 13 years back in the 90s. So this plant uh, is still in my house. So fast forward to uh, 2019, and I just repotted some clippings that were growing in a jar of water for probably three years into soil. And, and you know, it, it's not about the plant. It's about the connection to the memory of a great person, a green thumb, uh, a World War I a war hero who would tell me stories of putting doors over the trenches so that he could have tea with his fellow soldiers amid, you know, the battle. And somebody who taught me so much about being close to the land and being kind to others and always having a sense of humor. That's what that one plant and keeping that plant, you know, on the planet um, preserves for me. And I think the theme today for everyone out there is a real precious moment to stop and reflect at all the things that you preserve, whether they're material objects or just memories that connect you to something greater. We've hit on this theme, preserve, from so many different angles. And our placement of meaning onto things is the thread that pulls all of our conversation together. I want to thank our guests today, Autumn Red Cross, Angie Lowry, Gretchen Plus, and our featured guest, Anne Klotz. I'm David Allen Moss, and I hope you join us next episode. The theme is Wonder. Wake Up Call is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, a proud member of the Front Porch Media Network. Special thanks to executive producers Joan Andrews and Michael D'Aloya, producer and audio director Dave Douglas, account manager Connor Standish. Thanks to 2Bob Crew for the use of their song Rooster, available on iTunes. And if you would, please like and review this program. It really helps. Learn more about this and other podcasts from Evergreen at evergreenpodcasts.com. Wake Up Call, ideas that crow. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. 
Yeah, yeah, right? And yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.